0: In a world full of anger, strife, and plagues, a constant struggle is battled out between good and evil, right and wrong. And for over seven years, the IndieCast is here to try to make you forget all of that.
1: With interviews, pop culture talk, and the best in sexual innuendo. So sit back and relax as Chad, Zach, and Luna welcome you to the IndieCast exclusively on the Wrestling Nerds Radio Network.
0: Greetings and Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome once again to the IndyCast. Chad Allen, Zach Romero, both here with you today. Uh, Zach, welcome to 2021. Um, what, we a, made uh, it.
2: what a rocky start that we already I have to say, here.
0: We made, it. we made it through six days before insanity happened. We're not going to talk about that today. Uh, maybe another episode we'll rant on the craziness that's going on in the world right now, but... Uh, Zach, you're going to have to do me a favor today. Much like a, a previous episode where we had somebody from a particular company, you're going to have to keep me from making this the Chris Farley show today. Um,
2: I was uh, we, I was born to play uh, podcast lifeguard. So I have no
0: problem <laughs> Today, because uh, we try to start out every year with a big name guest, and thankfully this year is no different. Seven years on the Indycast, and somehow we still get big name guests to come on with us. Uh, this guest is not just the coolest. He is not just the best. Ladies and gentlemen, former ECW champion, Justin Credible, is actually on the line with us. Justin, welcome to the Oh,
1: What's going on, guys? How are you? We Great. Are excellent. Great.
0: Um, now, uh, Justin, we start every episode uh, the same way. Uh, we start out with what we call the lightning round. Uh, normally, it is five typical podcast questions. But you probably get it every time you're on a podcast. Um, and then we usually fall off the rails by about question three. <laughs> um, for us, I'm actually going to skip question one a little bit Because, quite honestly, question one tends to be Who trained you and when did you debut But you are one of the few guests that we have That have a Wikipedia page already That's true um, yeah. so, so I'm just going to confirm that Wikipedia is correct Because Wikipedia is not always the greatest bastion of knowledge But uh, it states you were trained at the Hart Brothers School But you were mostly trained by Lance Storm and Chris Jericho is that, Does that sound about right?
1: It's, it's about right. Uh, I was okay. trained, uh, by the hearts, uh, in the summer of 1992. And, uh, during, you know, Lance and Chris had gone through the same camp, uh, two years before me. Um, and in wrestling, you know, most of the time you'll have, you'll go to a school with a marquee name, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a student or two from the prior classes end up, uh, doing a lot of the in-ring work. Uh, it's, it's very familiar and it happens quite a bit. So, uh, Lance Storm happened to be the one that was there from the previous heart camps. And uh, he did a lot of my training. Uh, Chris, uh, no, he not, not really so much. He would show up once in a while. But uh, I did get to work with him on the indies uh, for that same promotion up there uh, for my second match. So I would say Landstorm Storm, uh, definitely.
0: Okay. Very nice. Uh, question number two in the lightning round. What is your first wrestling memory? Well,
1: wow, that's a great question. huh? Um, I'm particularly excited about
2: this question because uh, when we interview a lot of younger wrestlers, uh, Chad and I worried that we're going to turn in (laughs) dust at any moment. When it's like, what was your earliest wrestling memory? And this wrestler goes, oh yeah, it was um, John Cena winning the title. It's like, wrestle me like, oh my God, I'm a thousand years old. So to actually (laughs) hear someone with like, actually history, this is going to be a nice change of pace.
1: Um yeah um the one i remember um that really stood out to me um in early in my career was my first match uh for the WWE uh as a jobber um i was in i got i came into this business i had my first match october 16th 1992 and then uh, I, I had 10 matches over there for the Calgary promotion, Rocky Mountain Pro Wrestling. That is where I wrestled uh, Jericho in my second ever match. And then Lance was like seventh or eighth. Um, I came back to the United States. I'm from uh, Connecticut. And uh, I didn't really know anybody, any indies or any real, you know, any real contacts. Because, uh, you know, in 92, uh, you really didn't have, you know, the internet wasn't a thing yet. And wrestling schools weren't around, you know, every corner like they are today. So uh, I had a hard time uh, meeting up with uh, people in the business. So I took a chance one day. uh, I would say it was February or March of 93. I went to a WWE back then WWF house show and uh, just, you know, just went back there. I introduced myself to uh, Tony Gurria. He was one of the agents. And I said, Mr. Gurria, my name is, uh, you know, PJ Polacco. I was trained by the Hart brothers. Uh, you know, I'm just here to say hello. And, uh, you know, if you need anybody, that's the, always the wrestling uh, thing. Right. <laughs> Is right. It, you, you know, I, I brought my gear. Uh, so, you know, if you ever need it, if you need me, I'm here. So anyways, he was very kind. He got me a chair. I watched it right from behind the curtain. At the end of the show, uh, I shook hands with him and everyone that was, you know, there pretty much. Uh And I said to Tony, I said, uh, Mr. Greer, sir, he goes, uh, you know, thank you very much for your hospitality. It was a real pleasure, Uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, um, well, you know, we're starting a new show uh, in Manhattan called Monday Night Raw. He goes, we're looking for extras. If you are interested, uh, give me your number and uh, we'll give you a call and uh, put you on one of the shows. I was like, wow, okay. And um, that being said, The most memorable uh, instance slash match was the first match I ever had uh, in the WWE was against the narcissist Lex Luger uh, when he brought out the mirror, uh, if you remember that.
0: Mm -hmm. Definitely. Mm -hmm.
1: And um, yeah, just being there, uh, seeing all these amazing stars that I grew up with Randy Savage, Hulk Hogan was there. Um, You know, IRS was there, Razor Ramon, you know, all these guys, Shawn Michaels, uh, Luger, who I was a huge fan of, Yoko, Brett. um, So all these guys were there. And it was just really humbling to be in a locker room and to see your your heroes, uh, you know, all there. It almost seemed very surreal. And uh, I remember being in the ring for the first time uh, with the lights on and being on Live Raw never uh probably this is my 11th match ever in my entire career um even though it's a squash match nonetheless you know it's very intimidating and um there's vince mcmahon and randy savage commentating at ringside and the ring was so big and the pressure you could really feel the pressure because you're on live television mind you I've never been on any television. Uh, I wrestled in front of, you know, 50 people in Calgary, uh, you know, for a hot dog. So it was, uh, it was, it was really scary, uh, but wonderful. Cause it really made me, uh, realize like, Holy shit, this is no joke. I mean, this is what it's, you know, uh, you know, it was just a whole nother level. So, uh, that was my real first experience with, uh, you know, and first memory I, I have when it comes to, to pro wrestling and, uh, my involvement in it. Right. Luger now, was
0: fini- Luger was finishing with that, uh, with that loaded forearm at the time too, wasn't he? He
1: sure that- was yeah, it was that. right after his uh, motorcycle accident. That's right. They, uh, they claimed that, uh, he reconstructed his forearm with, uh, some kind of metal plate right. and, uh, he was using, he wore a, a shoulder, a uh, shoulder, a, uh, forearm pad and he would take it off to, uh, illegally knock people out with it so yeah
2: so as a side question like i said we deal with a lot of uh, younger talent um in our state and and on our show um your introduction there like you introducing yourself and shaking hands and and being making yourself available do you still feel like that can still apply today
1: oh absolutely i mean uh that is just like anything else in life um I don't think that uh, loses, uh, you know, I think that's always cool. That doesn't, you know, sometimes certain uh, customs or certain things that uh, were done in the past are not necessarily uh, done nowadays. But to me, um, which I was always taught and, uh, you know, that was locker room etiquette right there um, was you're young and you're new to the territory and to this locker room you, you want to go to everybody and introduce yourself. Um, and to me, to this day, uh, I'll, I started in 92. So whatever the math is, um, it's close to 30 years, you know, it's 28 years almost, or whatever, you know, the math is. So I've been in there a long time and I'll still, uh, go up to as many people as I can and say hello and introduce myself. Uh, you know, and I think that's, uh, it's important. Uh, it shows respect not only to the boys, Um, But also the locker room and the promotion in general, you know, and uh, and also, you know, um, I think a lot of guys and gals, I know it certainly happened for me when I was coming up in the business. I was intimidated to Mm -hmm. meet certain people. Um, I was like, wow, I'm not going to go introduce myself to X, Y or Z because they won't care. And uh, I don't want to look like a mark. Um, So sometimes out of fear, I would be shy about it and not say anything at all. Well, come to find out that a lot of times guys and gals that have that experience and that have seniority take that offensively. Uh, so you may think like, you know, uh, I, I shouldn't say hello to everyone or whatever. Um, I say I always say shake everyone's hand. What, even if it's your first day at work um, and your job has nothing to do with pro wrestling, I always uh Believed in shaking everyone's hand and introducing myself. Uh, just because two wrestlers will be like, oh, Credible's pretty cool. Uh, he's down to earth. I could communicate with him instead of, uh, you know, from afar, kind of, you know, thinking, oh, he's a dick or he doesn't want to be bothered. You want to break the ice, especially if you're going to be working with these people um, on a regular basis, you know. So I always believed in doing that for many reasons, respect being one of them. Awesome. Oh, very
0: nice. Uh, well, let me get get, uh, get back into the lightning round real quick. Question number three: uh, sure. If you had a choice, what hair band would you like to join? Oh,
1: that's a good one. Um, you know, being that uh, my wife is from New Jersey, uh, she's born about two towns over from uh, where was it, uh, Sayerville, New Jersey? Uh, right, mm-hmm. right there. Uh, you know, is uh, John Bon Jovi country. So uh, I would definitely say Bon Jovi. Very nice. Okay. Yeah, one of my sense. favorites, uh, actually, to this day, even their newer stuff. Big Bon Jovi fan.
0: Now, uh, uh, Question four. Oh, yep. uh, movie theaters aren't really much of a thing lately because of COVID, but uh, sure. I'm always still interested. What was your favorite
1: movie snack? Hmm. Movie snack? Um, I would have to say popcorn, buttered popcorn. You know, that, that uh, accompanied with a nice ice-cold Coca-Cola, bro. You can't go wrong. <laughs> Can't go
2: wrong. Did you ever play the game where you throw like the, the, the like raisinettes in the popcorn and make like almost like a movie trail mix? Did you, were you ever one of those uh adventurous no, types? I never
1: even heard of that before. because oh, so yeah. no. yeah. you get
2: the salty and the sweet, and, you, and it's almost like a race because if you wait too mm-hmm. long, then it's just a chocolatey mess at the bottom of the bag. Like, <laughs> I could see that,
1: I could see that, but no, I, I, I'm surprised I'd never heard of it. But now, uh, huh? obviously, I'm gonna have to try that, make that a thing. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: My mom always used to, do, uh, used to do peanut M&M's. That
1: was always her big thing okay. for that, too. Okay. So. Um, nice. uh,
0: last, last question of the, the lightning round and the one we have to ask everybody. Uh, Marvel or
1: DC and why? Oh, um, that's going to be a little rough. <laughs> well, I would say this. For the entirety of everything, um, the way the movies were structured, you know what I'm going to say marveled by far superior with uh just the way they have everything uh you know the timeline like i have disney plus and uh you know they for uh, recently actually i went and saw all the movies uh in succession uh like how the timeline is right they have that oh, available. Nice. okay so I, I like it for the fact that uh you know they make it easy to follow the story and it's so rich and they really take their time to to follow like every little rabbit hole, uh, in that, you know, timeline and in that era of the characters that they're introducing to us. Um, but when it comes down to, you know, the one character that I enjoyed, uh, was Batman. Um, you know, and obviously that's DC because I loved the Joker. Uh, I was always into Batman starting from as a kid where, uh, I was around, uh, when this was in, um, uh, what do you call it? Not reruns, but it was in uh, Syndication, the old, yeah. old uh, Batman series. Yeah, the Adam West Batman. The old Adam West, uh, Burt Ward as Robin, those guys. Um, you know, I was a big fan of that. So uh, I would say overall, character-wise, uh, I would say DC. You know, I really so, enjoyed a lot of the DC guys.
2: So I happen to absolutely love the Adam West Batman show.
1: Okay, okay. And
2: so I got to ask... Um, what was your who was your favorite villain in that? Cuz that show just did the campy bright colored villains better than any other variation. So, yeah. When you think of Adam West Batman, what's the number one villain you think of?
1: God, I mean, I liked Mr. Freeze cuz it was so campy. But uh <laughs> and you know, of course Burg- Burgess Meredith as the penguin. Yes. But my my favorite had to be Cesar Romero as the Joker. Um, cause he kind of made me scared as a kid. Cause he was just so creepy with the, with the laugh and the colors. And he just looked like a psycho and, uh, you know, I don't know. It just, uh, it, it resonated with me and he was, he just seemed really cool. Nothing like the jokers we get today, but, uh, nonetheless well, for say, a young yeah, kid, you know, <laughs> I
2: don't, I don't know if any of the other actors who've ever played Joker would have the balls to go. Yeah, no, I'm not shaving this mustache off. You can just paint right. over it. Caesar was
1: going to rock point. that mustache, bro. well he's a latin heartthrob right yeah he was oh that
0: was his trademark why would you yeah Yeah. you can't take that off
1: absolutely so yeah definitely man definitely
2: i would have loved to have sat in on that conversation of like well caesar we need you to shave that yeah i'm not doing that
1: uh well then paint
2: the man's mustache i don't what else are we gonna do we're not gonna
1: not have him and you know what they did a good enough job because not until much later in life did I actually recognize that there was a mustache there yeah, Correct. correct. Um, I, I know it's just right there in front of your face but as a kid you know I believed what are you going to say
0: <laughs> <clears throat> so, so Zach I find it very interesting that you bring up uh, colorful villain characters because that mm-hmm. brings me to probably the biggest colorful villain character I can think of um, uh, PJ what was it like the first time you met Vince McMahon
1: wow um, the first time I met him was, uh, very, very somber, really, uh, intimidating. Um, and there's two ways. I mean, it, it depends how you, uh, how you want to put this situation. I had gotten to know Vince through, you know, just passing by in the hallway. Uh, I, I was there for about a, in the WWF then WWF for about a year doing TV jobs Monday night raw wrestling superstars uh wrestling challenge and you know Vince always spoke to people that he thought were you know had something to offer I mean you could really tell who Vince uh put over and I noticed that before I had a contract that uh you know he would always say hey PJ like oh shit he knew my name um just small banter um but then when I finally got my job opportunity I was i live in connecticut as well the wwe offices are in Stamford, connecticut uh they needed somebody to come in um and i'm about 40 miles from the office uh this is before nxt or having a facility to train guys they put up a ring in a in part of their studio because they also have their television studios uh in a separate building over there uh and they had mark Callis callaway whatever uh the under the original undertaker Brian Lee, who was coming in to play the fake Undertaker, mm-hmm. and myself. Uh, they asked me to come in for a week, Monday through Friday, and work all day with Mark and Brian to kind of get Mark ready, um, you know, to learn Undertaker's moves, blah, 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 to, to finally do it for real uh, live on Monday Night Raw mm-hmm. against me. So, you know, we get to working all week, and the last day, was, uh, you know, a dress rehearsal, so to speak. So it was Brian Lee dressed up as classic Undertaker and myself. And then watching was Vince McMahon, Pat Patterson, and um, and Mark, those three guys. So, wow, you know, you, Pat Patterson at the time was probably Vince's number two and extremely important and creative uh, for the WWF. and um, And, of course, Mark, who's very influential, and this was his gimmick his his storyline right. and then vince and then vince mcmahon who is the boss and uh so i finished everything everything goes smoothly you know nothing spectacular i was there to feature brian so uh brian undertaker and vince are all talking pat patterson comes into the ring area and he starts asking me questions uh, how old am i i was like uh, i'm uh, 19 or 20 whatever the age was 20 years old and he goes, you know, who trained you? I said, the Hart brothers, you know, and he kind of popped and he mentioned it to Vince. And, uh, you know, another small talk in, ensues. And he goes, well, uh, what nationality are you? And I said, well, I'm Portuguese, Pat. And he goes, huh? Hey, Vince, this kid Portuguese, you know, that uh, French Canadian <laughs> accent that Pat had. And I thought that was kind of weird. You know, right. I popped it on Portuguese. What's the deal? Um, And Vince kind of popped. So, well, okay, strange, but I'm not going to make a big deal out of it. A couple more small little exchanges. Then he asked me uh, if I spoke Portuguese. And I said, well, sir, my parents immigrated here in 1970 from Portugal. I was born here in 73. So in reality, I learned Portuguese before I learned English. So, yeah, I speak fluent uh, Portuguese. And Pat once again told Vince, oh, this kid speaks Portuguese too. Now they both pop huge. Well, lo and behold, uh, they were looking for a Portuguese guy to fit the bill of Aldo Montoya, the Portuguese Man of War, that was already drawn up by creative. They didn't tell me any of this except for maybe a month later. Now, things were going good. I was getting called up to work every single TV taping for about a month, um, you know, kind of going over in dark matches, but still not under contract. And then out of nowhere... Um, you know, maybe I'm walking. Uh, it's the middle of the TV taping. Vince uh, is just roaming around. He he left his uh, headset from gorilla position. to, You know, whatever. He did. And uh, he pulls me aside. He says, "PJ, do you have a moment?" And I'm like, "Holy shit, do I have a moment?" He's a very scary dude. You know, right. and if you wanna if you wanna work in professional wrestling, period, regardless if it's just WWE, you know, he's you know, you don't want to mess this up. So uh, that was the first time we had talked, and he brought me outside um, on this ledge, this little patio with a, you know, a little ledge, uh, and he pointed up to the American flag because we were in an armory or a war memorial or something like that, and he points up to the flag and he goes, PJ, do you see that flag? I said, yes, sir. He goes, that's America, the land of opportunity. Pal, do you want an opportunity do you want an opportunity to work for the World Wrestling Federation? And oh, I'm like, Lord. you know, of course I am. You know, even though right there I was scared shitless because <laughs> he was so mafioso, I thought he might fucking throw me over the balcony, and that's it. Nobody will ever <laughs> see me again.
2: <laughs> well, you won't get the chance.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm shove you right off. But uh, and that was uh, that was really the first time you know that I had uh, any kind of real uh, you know intimate business kind of conversation. You know.
0: That's incredible. Oh, hey. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't even mean to do it. You yeah, did it that just right. like, I'm an asshole. I'm <laughs> so, sorry. Uh, now, uh, now I'm, I am interested in the differences between working with Vince and working with Paul Heyman. Because Paul Heyman oh, wow, yeah. seems like a completely different animal to, to Vince. So um, yeah. what's, what's the differences between the two?
1: I mean, it was a huge difference. Um, You know, I worked uh, two and a half, maybe three years for Vince as Aldo, uh, 1994 till probably a little less than uh, maybe like this this spring or summer of 97 uh, before I went to ECW. And uh, it was, man, it was just really liberating. Um, ECW was a lot smaller, obviously. You know, you're working for Vince McMahon, the largest wrestling company in the world. Um, But not just that, you know, just the creative process, the no bullshit approach where there was a lot of politics and, uh, you know, real scary kind of stuff. Like if you said the wrong thing to the wrong guy, you know, anything could happen. You could be blackballed. All of a sudden you could have heat uh, in the locker room with any, you know, with one of the big names. And then all of a sudden you're not on the booking sheet. And then all of a sudden you're out of a job and you don't even realize it. That stuff happened all the time. So uh, with ECW, you know, uh, you're really kind of... I had an advantage because I'd worked for three years under the auspices of the WWE. And I really had cut my teeth there and felt comfortable as a wrestler, as a performer, and as an employee. And uh, when ECW came around, I was like just primed ready. You know, I was ready to... You know, I had uh, experience doing live television. I had done two Royal Rumbles and in your house. So I'd had uh, pay per view experience. And, and again, a lot of these guys in ECW did not. So even though I hadn't discovered or Paul hadn't thrown the just incredible name at me, um, just the opportunity, I was uh, a little bit ahead of the other guys and gals who had never been on television before, especially for a company like the WWE.
2: So, I, I have a... chat, I'm sorry. I have a very selfish no, no, no. question here. Selfish um, So, uh, we've dabbled in, in some of the behind-the-scenes stuff in wrestling and things like that, and one thing that's always really, really interested me is the, like, pre-show speech. And I mm-hmm. know there's... Uh, every once in a while, there's a fo- footage of, like, the first ECW pay-per-view and, like, this huge speech that, that Paul Heyman gives and things like that. Can you just... what? it's always been said that after you hear a Paul Heyman pre-show speech, like you felt like you wanted to run through a brick wall. Like you were so mm-hmm. like just amped and you believed in it. What were the elements of that? Like what, what makes a great pre-show speech that you don't roll your eyes at? You don't go. Yeah. All right, whatever. Like what really well, makes for an engaging
0: you're speech? You're not like making jerk off motions with your hand. Well, right. Talking? Um, <laughs> well, you know what he
1: did was, uh, you know, anybody that asks me about Paul Heyman and his ability to write stories and be a booker or any of that other stuff. Uh, I say his greatest uh, asset, uh, for me at least was he was a great motivator. Mm -hmm. Um, and to this day, I think, um, anybody that really had worked with Paul on a high level will agree with me. Paul, um, really knew how to take guys from other organizations like WCW, WWF, whatever, that weren't necessarily wanted in that promotion or were bottom guys, and he had that ability to sell them that they were good, that they were just not being used properly by Vince, that they had all the tools to make it. And that's what he really did, not just to me, but to everyone there. He he found uh, your strengths, and then he would kind of tell you what you <clears throat> not necessarily wanted to hear. Um, he, he was pretty honest at times, but he really made you believe in yourself and made you believe that you could uh, climb mountains and go through a wall. You know, right. uh, he he knew how to pump you up and it was really a unique time because, you know, a lot of the shit Paul was saying was true here. You have this uh, small wrestling promotion of South Philadelphia that really for the first time uh, that this happened and kind of since you could argue about ring of honor being that way uh, as well. But, you know, you have a promotion that really is catering to the smart fans for the very first time at this level. Um, And we were creating something so, uh, so different. So uh, what's the, what's the right word for it? So organic. Um, It was just happening and you, you could just see it. You could feel it happening. And, you know, like I said, guys like me who had the ability that wanted more um, with Paul, you know, kind of telling you that you can get more and then giving you that platform and putting you in storylines and, and giving you main event uh, uh, spots. um, Then you're like, Oh shit, I can do this. And, uh, you know, then one thing snowballs after another. And not only did he do that with me, but, of course, the Van Dams, the Sabus, the Dreamers, uh, the Jerry Lins, etc. cetera, Lance Storms. These are all guys that at first um, Paul was their the first promotion that kind of gave all these guys that that opportunity. So Paul was very good at, at, at that And uh, those speeches uh, at times. You could say they were corny. You could say, uh, you know, he's full of shit. But, man, at the time, we uh, we felt like this was ours. I think each one of us, uh, to whatever degree, felt ownership on the product, uh, in our characters. And when we went out there, man, we all had a vested interest in putting on the best possible matches we could uh, because not only would it benefit ECW, it would benefit ourselves and bring us to the next level, you know.
0: Well, and, and as you mentioned, you kind of mentioned bringing yourself to the next level. So I'm I'm going to kind of precursor my question here a little bit. Um, I, I have I've been a wrestling fan since I was six. I I turned 45 this year, so it's been quite a long time. Um, my biggest prize possession that I have for all the wrestling shit that I own, and it's a bunch of it, um, and it's up in my office right now, is a signed uh, by the entire roster CyberSlam 2000 poster. Because you'd mentioned earlier that like you uh, ECW was amazing at kind of gearing towards the smart fan and the Cyber sure. Slam conventions I think were probably one of the biggest proofs of that that they saw kind of what the internet and the internet fan was going to be before anybody else did um and I'm pretty sure your signature is somewhere up on that poster because I got it during the the Q&A they used to do um during like during the daytime before the show but Cyberslam 2000 was a big memory for me because you won the ecw title that night um
1: that's right by coming yeah. out
0: and beating the living tar out of tommy dreamer which i think i might have been the only person in the audience cheering that on um, <laughs> but, uh, everybody else fucking hated you but i was i was all for it so um what are, what are your some of your memories of of that kind of the lead-in because i remember you know tommy's just won he's beaten taz it's a big deal, like he's finally holding the belt for the first time and then, and then you come whoopsies. out of nowhere and just crack the shit out of him with that uh, with your kendo stick and it kind of goes from there. So what, what's kind of your memory from, from that point of that evening? Well,
1: I just you know, um, I didn't know I was going to go over that night until about halfway during the show. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, it, was, uh, it was out there, you know, we were going through you know Taz was in uh in ECW to kind of uh do a favor for Paul because Vince had had him under contract and Mike had to drop the belt and uh he'd gone to WCW already without losing the belt There was all this stuff going on so uh you know there was so much I- involved and going on at that moment that the last thing I thought uh Going into this evening was that, you know, I was going to be come out of an ECW world champion, you know, so um after Taz, you know, lost and, you know, Dreamer went over whatever. um, And then me out of nowhere, I found out probably two matches before I had to go out there, uh, what was going to happen. So uh, it was as much of a surprise to me as probably anybody else, <laughs> I mean, you know.
0: I love the fact that, that even Heyman's keep it because I'm sure he's had that in his head for a
1: little while. Right. I mean, it can't be. Anything I don't know, man. Way. I'm telling you, you don't think- brother, I've seen him pull shit out of his ass, you know, <laughs> and I don't know how much of it was a work or not. But, you know, if, if he was a work, if he was working it, he worked it well, because I tended to believe a lot of that stuff because there's just no way you could, you know, you could pull that stuff off and kind of, I don't know. I think that a lot of times he just threw shit up against the wall last minute and saw what sticked. You know, he'd be the kind of guy that would watch how the Taz uh, and dreamer thing, for example, would break down and then maybe five minutes beforehand, switch it on the fly and just have you go out there and do that. I mean, I've seen Paul send uh, changed finishes to the ring with referees. Uh, so it's definitely, uh, it didn't happen that much to me, but it has happened. And, uh, yeah, I didn't find out, like I said, probably uh, two or three matches beforehand.
0: Okay. Now, interesting, yeah. we, were, we were actually talking about change finishes on our last episode, interestingly enough. Can, he, can you think of a, a time when, like, the, and he said he never did it to you, but was there a match you remember kind of particularly that Paul or, or even Vince or somebody sent out uh, a, a change finish like that? Uh,
1: honestly, I can't. I can't say okay. that I did personally.
0: So, well, I'm uh, I'm going to ask one more ECW question here. And this <laughs> You've done very off. well at, at restraining yourself, Chad. I'm very Thank proud. You. I'm Thank you. proud. Well, this this one I think I, is going to is going to be an interesting one because I believe the um uh what what did they say the uh the um you know the time frame of this is long past that uh, nobody can get in trouble anymore. Um, but ECW was very famous. Well, he's gonna. I, I promise you, PJ is gonna know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, the Cylinder of Sin. Uh, any any interesting stories from the, the infamous Cylinder of Sins that uh, that everybody and for those that don't know, I was like, uh, can we give like a little yeah. bit of context? I don't, I don't know even, know what, the I don't the even know what that is limitations probably Okay, so there was. I a, don't even there, know what that is. I, I'm okay. I'm surprised. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you didn't say there was a hotel. That all the wrestlers stayed at. That was just oh, around the
1: holiday. Inn. The holiday Inn.
0: Exactly. That okay. was officially kind of dubbed the cylinder of sin, apparently, because it was a it was a big round building, yeah, uh, higher story building, and apparently all sorts of shit went on. And I can speak for I spent a couple nights there because uh, okay. driving back to Maryland sucked. Um, so you'd crash, and I've definitely. Got to hang out for and see a few interesting things happen. Anything interesting that happened in that hotel while you were while you were there.
1: I can honestly say, and this is gonna be boring, but no. Um, <laughs> well the, the reason the reason being um I was married uh I was married when I got to ECW. Uh not that this would have really changed anything, but I got married the summer of ninety-seven and I got to ECW okay. in September. So a I was married, but b uh, my wife uh lived well her mother in law or my mother in law lived in New Jersey, which was about two hours from the e c w arena, so most of the time uh we would drive home okay uh, after the arena, so we'd never uh go to the old holiday inn
0: <laughs> you probably we were smart and dodged some fun there yeah, uh, I I, yeah I, I, did I ever tell my one cylinder of sin story on the show I don't before think that? you
2: have I don't think you uh, have. I,
0: I so I stayed the night one night and I had a friend of mine who I met online crash in the. She, she was like, I don't want to drive. Back. I had a room with two beds. She crashed. Uh, she was hanging out. Uh, I had gone to sleep because I'm like, well, I'm going to get some sleep before I get a drive in the morning. And suddenly there's a knock on my door. It's the friend that it was crashing with me. Um, there was a valet named Angel. Uh, oh, I know Angel.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and, I know Angel. yeah. yeah, I know Angel. And
0: Angel was a sweetheart. The, the fun one of this one was Jack Victory. Oh boy! And Jack Victory walks in and they're like, we want to hang out a little bit. Well, Jack Victory decides he's he comes into the room and he's like, I want to watch some porn. And I'm like, Jack, it's like two in the morning. Uh, I'm not paying for you to uh, put porn in my room.
1: That that was a bunch of dudes as well.
0: Right. Well, it was, thankfully, it was it, me and Jack were the only two dudes in the room. So I, mm-hmm. I guess thank you for that much, at least. But Jack legitimately goes into his wallet, pulls out a $20 bill, just slams it down on the table and goes, put there you some go. Porn. go. Fuck it. Order some porn then, Jack. Whatever. So I put the 20 in my pocket and Jack legitimately, I think, till 3 in the morning was watching porn in my room before I finally got him to all to leave because I had to get up and drive back to, like, back to Maryland at like 8 a.m. the next morning. Oh, man. That's
1: I'll funny.
0: always remember... Jack Victory coming in going, I want to watch
1: some porn. What the hell can you... I I mean, not to get into all this, but I can't watch that shit. A... For an extended period of time, if you want to watch porn, it's usually a jerk off. And then the minute you're well, done cutting a fucking blowing a nut, <laughs> you shut it off like you're ashamed.
2: <laughs> of course. Yes. No, the wave of I shame like comes it, in. You're yeah, you like, but you just shut it right, right off.
1: off. So, I, I never I, I never understood how people could sit there in a room full of dudes and just watch porn like you're critiquing a I, fucking I, the Godfather. I swear well, the right. cinematography on that wasn't very crisp.
0: No, yeah. this is my favorite part. At one point, they got a close-up of the woman's vagina, and Jack went up to the TV and was trying to, like he was trying to, to work the vagina with no, his thing. Come like, on, Jack. Come on. I swear to Christ, I, I swear on the life of my kids, this happened. Oh. Um, it's like Ugh,
1: that's too it's funny.
0: Fucking victory was doing that in, in the room. So that's that's okay. So um, uh, okay, so uh, let's, I'm going to slightly change, change you a little bit.
1: Uh, so you're, yeah, gonna sure. to
0: be in a, you're about to be in a new video game. You're going to be in the wrestling code just announced fairly recently. I do believe.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely.
0: So, um, thoughts on, uh, what are your thoughts on being in a game still now? Like, like you said, you're almost at 30 years of a career. How does it feel being in a game now? And what was, what was the first game that you remember your, you and any of your characters being in?
1: Um, man, I, I think it's amazing that I'm, you know, still doing this, uh, you know, going on 30 years uh, to be in a video game is even cooler. Uh, you know, I've had I had my Legends action figure uh, come out uh, two and a half years ago, I believe. Um, you know, so that was really cool. It was like uh, toys, figures, Toys Inc. or something. What is? What's the one that came out with those? The line of uh, of action figures. I
0: think it was Figure Toys Inc. and Yeah, because it had yeah. it made you wearing like the I hate this town shirt. Which that's I, right, that's I right. So love. I
1: had that yeah. recently, and and to have a video game is always cool, especially you know um, for people that haven't seen me or don't know about Just Incredible. It kind of you know people may get curious and you know what I mean, may do some research on it, especially with the internet and YouTube and the network, the WWE network. It's uh it's an opportunity to really reintroduce yourself. Uh, you know because I guarantee you there's not too many fans out there that watched me through my initial ECW run so uh it's it's really uh it's a cool opportunity to to get out there in front of new fans but uh the first opportunity I've ever gotten and uh, this will be an interesting piece of uh, information um was before I was in ECW I worked on a couple uh I think the first one was in your house Tom Pritchard and I we're actually in blue suits working the motion capture for a, a couple God. of uh, WWF video games in 95 and in 96. No uh, I know. Yeah. I remember, uh, I think one of them was an in your house video game. I'm not sure, but I was, we, me and Tom Pritchard were, or Tom Pritchard and I were in two of them. And, um, you know, we would get to put the suits on and the superstars would come in and, uh, we basically work with them. And, uh, Help them do, you know what I mean? All the stuff that wire work. And, uh, you know, it was a lot of fun. So, in two of those uh, WWF wrestling games, like I said, 95 and 96, Dr. Tom Pritchard and myself are the actual bodies uh, of the wrestlers, the movements and everything. So, that was pretty cool. And then, of course, my debut, um, where I actually had a character for the first time, was the ECW. Uh, uh, what was the name of the first one? Was it ECW Hardcore Revolution? Yes. I believe. And then uh the second one was ECW Anarchy Rules that came out with a second one. And then I've been on a couple of the WWE ones, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So um, but those were uh, that was my first foray into uh, video games. Amazing.
0: I love so, the fact that you the, the workout <laughs> of on, on that one, that's cool.
1: So yeah, yeah, it's definitely cool. say I you genuinely a lot,
2: remember you know? having uh WWF in your house for PlayStation. Yeah. Um, in '96, I absolutely remember owning that. Oh, so, okay. That's that's incredible. Yeah. Damn it, it, I did really, it again. Did that's it really again. neat. It's a really neat thing you just said. <laughs>
0: uh, now, uh, one of the things that we do tend to like to do when we are uh, setting up for guests is go through your, to go through your social media, see what's going on, see what uh, what what your interests are on top of just the wrestling stuff. Uh, one of the things that I did notice is a, a lot of uh, a lot of kitchen shots. You 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 uh, yeah. Look to be, you look to be a chef. What are some of the things that you uh, that you like to cook, and what's your favorite recipe? Uh,
1: I don't have any real favorite recipes, but uh, I like to cook really without, you know, uh, I don't do the cookbook stuff. Uh, I okay. You know, I like to dabble. I went to culinary school for a little bit um, in 2006. I went for about a year, and I uh, worked in the restaurant business for a little while. After that, I worked at Olive Garden, and I worked at uh, a couple of smaller, uh, you know, fine dining establishments. Um, so I kind of got my teeth cut in at, uh, you know, just, but there was no money in it. But uh, what I got from that though, was uh, learning how to cook. And then of course the best part is cooking for yourself. And, you know, from there you, you really can take your time and, uh, you know, enjoy it, you know? So uh, I love to do, you know, I mean, you name it. I, I love to do, um, you know, obviously anything. I love a good steak. I like to do mm-hmm. this dish. With uh, you know, with shrimp, uh, scallops, like I do, like a lobster bisque that is very delicious. Um, you know, sauteed with you know shrimp, garlic sauteed over some pasta, stuff like that. I mean, you you know, you really can can name it. I also like to do uh, like a a goat, um, like goat meat, and you put it in a okay. big clay clay pot. You uh, use about a half gallon of red wine. Uh, you put in a bunch. I mean, literally eight cloves of garlic. You saute it over some, uh, some olive oil. You put the goat in there for about eight hours at about two fifty, and it just peels off the meat or the meat peels off the bone. It's delicious, a little expensive, but I like to do stuff like that. And I really like to experiment, you know what I mean? Just to have fun with it, you know, because amazing! what a, what a great recipe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, when you when you're working in a kitchen, you realize that it's not fun. It's not how you see it on television Um, because, you know, you're 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 hurrying up. You're you're under a lot of stress and uh, you're cooking under pressure. You know what I mean? So when you're home, you could really take your time. You could taste you could, you know, when you're cooking for a restaurant or or a chef, you have to really follow said recipe. And when you're at home, you can kind of dabble in it. It needs a little more salt. Um, taste it. I could use a little more, you know, pep. Whatever, whatever uh, spices you're using, you know. So that's the fun of it, you know. I really uh, enjoy that part.
0: Hmm. And yeah, I, I remember I Anthony uh, Anthony Bourdain, and he has a, a, a uh, one of his books that described uh, being in a, in a kitchen staff as being like in a band and like being a band of pirates. Um, hmm. So it, did you did you kind of get a, a similar feeling, or was that? Um,
1: and, um, and which, yeah, I would say that that's fair. Yeah. That's definitely fair to fair to say, but it is. It's like you're all it's it's like you're in a team, you know, but it's also very, uh, very stressful. And, uh, you know, you find you find yourself like, you know, they say that uh, drug addiction, alcoholism and suicide are like so common in kitchens. Yeah. And and I shouldn't laugh, but people get really stressed out and they lose it, you know, because it's like, you know, you start yelling and throwing shit. I mean, I've been there. And I was like, you know what? That's no, It's no fun for $12 an hour. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. You know, not like that, but like that. <laughs> yeah. So.
2: Now, I was going to say, in addition, again, scoping through the social media, you've got a very diverse uh, range of musical tastes. Uh, yes. We obviously asked about hair bands earlier. Um, so, I I want to know, uh, what is your favorite ABBA song and why? Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I really don't have like a favorite Ava song, but um, if I was to name one, what the hell is that? Uh... Oh, my God. That one about Napoleon. What is it called?
0: Waterloo.
1: Waterloo. That's right. Why do yeah. I know that? But Waterloo, <laughs> yeah. Waterloo, I like. <laughs> that and I like and I like that because of that Will Ferrell movie. Um, I don't know if you guys are, uh, if you guys ever saw it, it's a comedy on Netflix it's called Eurovision. It's about, a a song contest. And, uh, the reason, you know, Will Ferrell plays like some weird dude from Iceland since he was a kid, was trying to get into this singing competition, similar to idol, like American idol. Okay. And, uh, one of his, uh, I, you know, idols that he looked up to and got him singing was ABBA. So
2: <laughs> that's that. Okay. Good, good answer. Good, honest answer.
0: I like that. So, uh, another thing that I had seen fairly recently was, uh, and it was based off of kind of something that Cody Rhodes had put up, uh, you had gone through and kind of ranked the star Wars, uh, movies uh, yes. in your listing there. So, uh, I had to know, uh, we had to ask, uh, why rogue one was kind of low, at least in my opinion, cause it, you had it nine and then what are your thoughts on the, uh, on the Mandalorian? Cause you mentioned Disney plus earlier. So, yeah.
1: Um, I just, something about, now there's nothing wrong with Rogue One. Um, I just was not really into the story. Um, I get it. I get the timeline. I'm a huge, huge Star Wars mark. I mean, I grew up, that's always been my favorite, uh, one of my favorite movies of all time. Like the whole, you know, the original trilogy, um, you know, was always one of my favorites of all time. So to me, Rogue One just, I found it almost unnecessary to me. Like it just didn't, it was made well. I didn't like the main characters. Uh, nobody really jumped out to me, so to okay. speak. And I know it's a it's a darling of many, uh, you know, some people uh, really, really, really like it. Mm-hmm. But for me, it just, I don't know, maybe I was in the wrong uh, place to watch it. But it just never did much for me. And I'm also, but uh, in my opinion, too, a lot of people shit on the new uh, installments. Uh, I liked them all. Really, I thought The Last Jedi was uh, the least favorite book but um I thought Force Awakens although it was a carbon copy almost of Star Wars yes. um just kind of re, redone uh, I still enjoyed it and Rise of Skywalker you know I guess I'm such a mark for it that to me you could just uh you know you could take a shit on a piece of paper and I'll put it over <laughs> if it's Star Wars so you know in The well, Mandalorian now going to Mando um season 1 mm-hmm. was good I I enjoyed it but uh, the second season uh going into the finish, I really, truly, uh, truly enjoyed it. And they can't wait, uh you know, for season three, which will probably won't be out till uh probably this time next year, you know. Yeah. But um, I'm definitely looking forward to it. And also the book of Boba Fett, that'll be interesting.
0: Right. Uh, yeah, the post credit the post credit at the end of the uh, Mandalorian uh, season. Uh, yeah, I was yeah. quite pleased with that. So Yeah, absolutely. Can't
2: wait. I was gonna say my my one thing because I live with a uh, a Rogue One apologist, uh, my wife. <laughs> uh, we've both agreed that I think something that could greatly improve Rogue One would be uh, to have another run through with an editor, because okay. the first half of that movie is real clunky and kind of all over the place. Mm-hmm. And then once we finally start kind of getting into the story of it and we're kind of setting things up for the original trilogy. And by the end, I think we've, it it picks up, but that Mm -hmm. beginning part is such a, such chore to get through.
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It really, and and you know what, now that we're having this conversation, uh, when I get off, I have a couple of loose ends. I got to tie up um, with, uh, because I uh, do virtual coaching actually. And I have to finish up a student when I get off with you guys. But uh, once I'm done with that, I'm actually going to give Rogue One another try. I've, probably seen it uh three or four times um but i'll i'll, I'll probably pay a little more attention because i always seem to fall asleep i watched it uh first time in the movie theater um and then i was underwhelmed and then since then i haven't watched it and stayed awake uh for the whole thing all the way through so i'll i'll give it another shot tonight
0: i think okay. the, you know what i think that movie needs more of more alan tudyk uh, I, that's true. As a I sassy love, robot, I love the sassy robot character. Actually, you know, very interesting. You mentioned you do virtual coaching, so that, that's actually an interesting question. What what's some of your advice for kind of some of the new the new talent that's out there right now? What what are you seeing? What what could be done better? What is, what are they doing right? What what's some of the things that you're noticing?
1: Um, yeah, one of the things, man, I notice, um, and this is all across the board, um, is the basics. Um, basics, 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 as far as, you know, um, when I watch AEW, for example, um, you know, you've got guys and gals doing tremendous, tremendous moves and spots and stuff that I couldn't even dream of doing, uh, and executed, you know, really well. Uh, but then they can't grab the proper headlock or I was watching this one kid. Uh, I don't remember his name. He was wrestling Scorpio sky on AEW dark. And he was doing a high spot where he's hitting the ropes, and he literally came. And when it was time to hit the ropes, he was supposed to bounce off. He would almost stop at the ropes to then launch himself back out instead of actually hitting the ropes and having them shoot him off. Like little things that the guys and gals really are over, you know, overlooking. They're more worried about how am I going to land this four fifty than you know basic stuff like grappling lock. I mean, a good lockup. I, one quick story. I'll tell you when I was Aldo, um, I was doing the opening match or no, the second match of the television taping in 95. And before me was these two big muscle guys and they were having a tryout. Um, and so they went out, did their thing. They looked like a million bucks each and they lock up right from the lockup. Pat Patterson takes off. And Vince turns around and I'm right there at Gorilla getting ready to go out after them. Uh, Vince goes, Pat, you know, where are you going? I gave these guys a try. You know, I want you to watch them. Ah, Fuck them. If they can't lock up Vince, they can't fucking work. That was it. So the basics to me are very important. Selling and stuff. I mean, I know it sounds really, uh, really minor, but if you could do basics really, really well, similar to a Bret Hart. And Owen Hart, like they called him the excellence of execution. Um, Me coming from the Hart's training facility. That stuff with the fancy stuff, if you put it all together, can really make you next level. Because you'd be amazed how much that knowing the basics and and applying them to the best of your ability really makes a match uh, that much better um, than if you didn't do them right. Like you could have the exact same match with the exact same spots, but doing really good, good basic, uh, you know, your basics are really tight and crisp, the way you bump, the way you feed, uh, the way you hit the ropes, the way you grab a headlock, working certain holds and maneuvers, selling. If you could put that into a match and, and you know, do the same spots, you'll see the difference just from. The little stuff that a lot of young men and women find almost inconsequential, but to the entire presentation as a whole, it's like night and day. You know, it really (laughs) is. Yeah.
0: Do you see somebody like and you mentioned AEW or on the independent scene right now that that you think really has that grasp? Correct. Who, Who should they be? Who should they be looking at right now?
1: Well, uh, to be honest, I I don't know. Uh, I haven't uh, been out there, unfortunately, uh, this year a lot. So, and I don't watch a lot of uh, indie stuff online. But uh, I I really don't know. You know, it's a shame because there's a lot of good guys out there, you know, and uh, it seems like AEW really got a lot of those California guys, a lot of the Chicago guys, like people that were making a name for themselves before COVID. Are kind of scooped up, and I really haven't had a chance to to see anybody. But I'm sure they're out there. I'm sure there's a lot of guys and gals out there. Okay.
0: Uh, Fair well, Justin, uh, this is the time of the episode I'm get to move into uh, what we uh, refer to here on the Indycast as the Trevin Adams Memorial Question, uh, even though okay. Trevin is, isn't dead. Um, hi, Trevin. Uh, and the question goes thusly: uh, It's late at night. You're, you know, obviously you've just worked uh, worked a show. You're driving home or what have you, and you're starting to get hungry. Uh oh. and this we'll say this is before the time frame of when every fast food joint was open twenty-four hours. True, yes. Um you're coming over a hill and you see a shining beacon of light for uh food mm. and drink in front of you. Uh is that shining beacon that you're seeing in front of you a sheet or is it a wawa?
2: Hmm.
1: Probably a wawa. There we go.
2: That's what I'm talking about. I think okay. a wawa.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Only because I have uh um, just more memories for Wawa. Uh, especially being in the Pennsylvania kind of doing a lot of work in Pennsylvania Wawa wow was always good in, uh, in those hours in the pinch, you know,
0: <laughs> all right, Zach, you got, you got somebody else on team Wawa with you. I'm happy. I'm a happy boy. <laughs> you win that one. So, uh, so, well, uh,
2: Zach, go, go to the final two. Yes. Yeah, so our final two questions here. Um, and it's time for me to really bring down the mood, uh, <laughs> So, unfortunately, in this uh, incredible, you know, uh, sport, this performance, art, professional wrestling, uh, we lose talent early. And so, uh, with that being said, uh, obviously, you've had uh, an incredible career. You've wrestled all types of talents. However, who is a wrestler or manager or whom have you who is no longer alive that you would have loved to have worked with, either talked with, wrestled? you know, pick their brain. What ghost would you have wanted to, to uh, work with in the ring?
1: That I have not gotten to work with. Correct. Oh, wow. Oh, that's a really good one. Um, huh. I'm going to say Brody Lee, just because that name happens to, you know, be in the media and be in all of our, you know, hearts and minds. I never met him. Um, but I was a big fan of his and, um, Yeah. You know, I, I would say that, you know, just cause like I said, he's fresh, uh, in my mind. And, uh, you know, I think that's a fair answer because from what I hear, he was, uh, you know, a really good guy and also, uh, really great to be in the ring with. So that would have been cool. Oh,
2: excellent. Good, good answer. Good answer. Uh, final question here. We here at the Cast believe that every animal in nature has certain evolutionary traits that ensure survival. Giraffes have long necks, rhinos have big horns, et cetera, et cetera. Our belief is that human beings, as an animal, their evolutionary trait is their ability to use tools. So, just incredible, if you could fight any animal, what would it be, and what weapon would you use?
1: Well, that is a great, strange, and (laughs) weird question. (laughs) Um, An animal... Hmm. Does, do fish count? Yes, they absolutely sure. count. I could, I could uh, take the fish, and I'll beat it to death with the Singapore cane, then I'll eat the son of a bitch. There you go. <laughs> Beautiful. You go. I wouldn't ask for anything I better. So,
0: I was so hoping it was going to be the cane. I don't know how excited <laughs> I was. Of course it was. <laughs> so, uh, well, uh, Justin, this is the uh, part in the episode where one Mr. Brian Cage has officially given us permission to call. Get your shit in. Uh, let people know where they can find your social media, uh, find your merchandise, etc., etc. The floor is yours.
1: Okay, guys. Uh, if you're, uh, if you want to follow me on social media, I am at Twitter on Twitter at PJ Polacco also on Instagram at PJ Polacco. And of course, pro wrestling backslash just incredible over 30 or no, excuse me, 25 Uh, Original shirts, I cut a few off there. And uh, also, uh, every Friday at 10 a.m., Vince Russo and I go live with his AEW review show on Twitch. First 10 minutes are free. Then the the remainder of the podcast is available on Patreon at patreon.com backslash Russo TWC. And one last one on Vince Russo's Realm Network, I have my own podcast called Pro Wrestling 101. So check out all of that stuff. (laughs) It's a mouthful. Excellent. Excellent work.
0: Well, uh, uh, PJ, I don't know if I can really, again, truly begin to vocalize how excited I am to have had you on the show. Uh, We definitely appreciate you taking the time out with us. And to all of our dozens and dozens of wrestling nerds out there, thank you, as always, for listening in to the IndieCast. Until next time, everybody, I am, as always, Chad Allen.
2: I am Zach Romero.
0: And until next time, everybody, we always say Deuces. Well,
1: hope I don't poop today. Hercules
0: Mulligan! A jump scare is the Canadian destroyer of horror films.
1: Pardon me. Might I suck mine own dick for a second.
2: I'm ready to greet the day, you what fucker. Fuck?
1: Every single one of you guys has made a whole decision. <laughs> it's that dirty ass
0: Meryl Street. We this are more touching wieners, touching wieners professionally.
2: Ric Flair said fuck a six pack and he never lost an ounce of pussy. What I am
1: is a big queer stone cold Steve Austin.
2: Birds don't give a fuck about your life.